Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. It's been a month since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Despite its relatively small size, the collapse of the bank sent shockwaves around the globe. Investors fearing a 2008-style financial crisis began to look for the next weak link in the chain. The first target was Credit Suisse. The ripple effects from the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank on Friday are being felt across the world. We start with the troubled global banking sector. European markets have closed down more than 3%, spooked by a major sell-off of shares in the Swiss banking giant Credit Suisse. The beleaguered company Credit Suisse will borrow $81 billion from Switzerland's central bank. Credit Suisse hopes the intervention will reassure investors the company has enough money to stay afloat. Then came Deutsche Bank. Yeah, so markets have certainly gone down today, hit a lot by the banking stocks. Of course, Deutsche Bank certainly in focus. It does follow on from the saga we have seen across the globe, particularly from the US. And while markets have calmed outside of the banks, the next going concern for investors is the commercial real estate market. So I sat down with my colleague Tom Walker, co-head of Global Real Assets, to get us up to date on the latest financial crisis, why investors are fearing contagion spreading to the real estate sector and what the likely outcome might be. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. Tom, welcome. Thanks very much. Good to see you again. Um, Now, the markets have been in a bit of turmoil over recent weeks. I'm sure a lot of people know it's to do with the collapse of some banks over in the US. But just to get everyone up to scratch, can you just give a bit bit of background as to what's been going on? Yeah, so uh, just over a month or so ago, we saw Silicon Valley Bank um, facing financial difficulty and going bankrupt over in the States. We begin our report with the abrupt closures of three banks in a matter of days that are now sending shockwaves across sectors of the economy and raising concerns about the US banking system. That then led to contagion with a number of other smaller regional banks over in the US. And that's really kind of sparked a bit of a a banking crisis. And we've then seen a bit of that contagion spread over to Europe. We've seen Credit Suisse obviously now consumed by UBS. There were then question marks on Deutsche Bank as well. And everyone's pretty nervous and just thinking, right, where next? What does this mean? And the problem has been caused by the pace at which central banks have raised interest rates. The ECB has signalled that tackling inflation trumps all else. It has pressed ahead with 0.5 percentage point increase in eurozone interest rates. Uh, The Bank of England has just raised interest rates to its highest level in 15 years. Today, rate setters voted to raise interest rates uh, by a quarter of a percentage point to 4.25%. The Federal Reserve raising by one quarter point by 25 basis points to a new range of 475 to 5%. To try to dampen stubbornly high inflation. Well, there has been little relief for consumers' wallets as inflation remains sticky. You can see here inflation has shot up over the last two years hit more than 11% in October, what we assume is the peak, started to fall away, and the assumption was it would carry on falling this year. But today, of course, it's peaked back up to 10.4%. So that trend has been broken. Things getting broken, unintended consequences, Mm. that's what we're beginning to see. One of those unintended consequences 
has been a spillover of concern in the real estate market. Real estate is a capital intensive business. And, and, and by that, we mean whether it's us as individuals or the companies that we're looking to invest in, everyone uses debt in some shape or form. Now, just as I might have a really high loan to value on when I buy my house, you might have a very low one. So within the credit market, there's obviously good and bad credits. But because real estate is a capital intensive business, people are very worried that if the banks themselves are under stress and have less debt available to lend, well, then which sectors are going to be vulnerable? And that's where real estate comes in. Fearing a further tightening of credit conditions, deposits at small US banks dropped by a record amount. And over the past month, flows into money market funds have risen by more than $300 billion to a record $5.1 trillion. That's according to Reuters. Now, money market funds are kind of mutual funds that invest in highly liquid near-term instruments. The concern when you get these headlines is the, the whole sector. So just to give you a few numbers, in the US, the commercial real estate sector has about $4.4 trillion of debt mortgaged mm. against it. Of that, 40% of that number is with banks. And so, you know, the banks play a really important part in giving people the finance they need to buy those properties. Now, what's interesting is that actually when you look at that 40% share the banks have, 65% of that is small and regional banks. And that's where the concern is coming in. And so people are saying, right, the whole real estate sector is in trouble. There's going to be much less debt to go around. But that's not, you know, not everyone borrows from a small or regional bank. But then when we start to think about within which sector might be more impacted or less impacted, the one that is really concerning people and where we've seen the most, the most dramatic price moves in the listed market so far is the office subsector. Now, a lot of that is quite US specific because as we all think about working from home and the return to the office, the US have been very, very slow. So office utilization in the States is still only about 50%. So it's almost the lowest globally. And so they really are kind of thinking, right, that is the sector that is going to really struggle here because the banks are going to be willing to to lend much less money to the most problematic se subsector, which is offices. Yeah, I was over in on the West Coast of the US uh, earlier last year and uh, particularly San Diego and San Francisco, it seemed like ghost towns. I mean, is there a particular reason why the US hasn't gone back? Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the West Coast. I mean, that is the epicenter of working from home, not going back. So you were over around San Diego, eh? I was at a US REIT conference in San Francisco in November. Absolute ghost town. The latest census numbers are shining more light on the Bay Area exodus. The San Francisco region leads the area in the number of people fleeing the big city since the pandemic. A new census data study shows in 2021, the SF metro area lost 2.5% of its population. 116,000 people just packed up and left. They were here for work and then have decided that now that they can, you know, remote work, that they're ready to leave. Now these moves appear to be higher income folks uh, working remotely sometimes, moving to places like Austin or Atlanta or Nashville or Denver, lower cost places. It's really like a zombie city. Oh. It's incredibly kind of strange and depressing to be there. Downtown Los Angeles is meant to be similar. It is very much of a West Coast uh, issue. If you go to Boston, New York, Washington, office utilization is much, um, you know, higher and the, the downtowns are sort of, you know, much you know more functioning as, as we would sort of experience here in Europe. And so 
Over on the West Coast, why is it different? It's because that's really where the tech sector is. And they really adopted the working from home a lot quicker and a lot more. Um, combined to that, the fact that it's really the tech companies making lots of redundancies and they've over-specced on the office space that they're hiring <laughs> and you have a bit of a vicious circle all really culminating in some pretty grim pricing discovery in the office sector uh, on the West Coast. So we've got those low occupancy rates, got people losing their jobs as well, which means less people, even fewer people are going into the office. That's right. And, and, and just to sort of to add to that, and this is what's concerning the market in the terms of the banks. Because if you're a bank and you're looking at your loan book and you're saying, right, well, of my loan book, 40% is in offices, maybe 40 is in retail, 20% in other subsectors. And you're looking at what's going on. You're saying, right, well, in the next five years, I want my loan book to be 5% offices or whatever the number is. So it's going to be much, much lower. Add to that the pain, if you like, that we had in financial markets last year from rates rising. So even before the banking crisis started, the real estate sector was looking at higher cost of finance. Okay, and that was already going to impact values to a certain degree. And now you're just adding on this, right, well, actually, if banks are reducing that overall pool of debt available, that's adding fuel to the fire, if you like. So tightening lending conditions, low occupancy rates, stubbornly high inflation and central banks continuing to raise rates appears to be a perfect storm of problems for real estate investors. But how concerned should they be? That's coming up in part two of the show. Get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash the investor download. In late March, Scott Reckler, the chief executive of property manager and developer RXR and a member of the board that oversees the New York Federal Reserve, warned of potentially systemic problems in the real estate finance market. Yeah, and, and, and this is where I think the nervousness in the market from seeing someone like Credit Suisse, Silicon Valley Bank, you know, going bankrupt is just overplayed things. So, so we look at what's going on and I think we would sort of characterise this as a headwind. This is not a hurricane. While Walker acknowledges that conditions are far from ideal and he urges caution around highly leveraged commercial real estate, along with any type of business that burns through cash at the current time, he does see plenty of opportunities being created, especially for high quality real estate investors. These are profitable real estate companies with assets that are in demand and the higher, uh, higher interest payments they will be making because rates have gone up just means that that free cash flow has reduced. It is still there. So dividends will still be paid. But I think that in terms of the impact, really what you're going to be looking at here is it's going to impact the smaller players, the lower quality portfolios, the more suburban portfolios. You know, if you look at some of the pricing that's available, you're going to start to see for high quality portfolios or high quality assets in key locations underpinned by transport, you're going to see pr pricing, you know, very resilient there. We've already seen some sovereign wealth funds stepping in, buying some assets. There was, um, you know, a, a takeover announced this morning in the UK. Blackstone privatising a US last mile logistics, sorry, a, a logistics company here in the UK called Industrials REIT. So there is a price for good quality assets and there's availability of finance for good quality borrowers. But those small regional banks have been lending to smaller players. And I think that's where the stress will be. But what does it mean for global real estate values in general? Yes. Yeah, so, so far, 
you know, that, that sort of the, the interest rates rising and the impact on values, which is going to be negative because, you know, if you've got a higher cost of funds, you're going to be able to afford to pay less for that property. We're seeing that impacted most in the States and then in Europe. Asia so far, and I'll kind of exclude Australia a little bit from this, has been a relative safe haven because rates have been, you know, inflation is not as out of control. And so what we saw priced into markets last year was that higher cost of finance, that fall in values, that's already been priced in. And so the the overall sector, you know, when rates go up very quickly, it will pull values down. But again, what's so important is to find yourself, if you can, invested in an asset where there's not lots of supply, where there is still demand for structural reasons. Think of last mile logistics, think of data centers, mobile phone towers, whatever it might be. If you can find those niche subsectors, then you're still going to be able to grow your rent, which means you can offset that higher cost of earnings. And that's what we really focus on to try and offset the overall pull down that clearly is happening as rates go up dramatically for the broader market. But then also what's very interesting for us in the listed REIT sector, particularly in the US, is the US REITs don't really access the banking market. They go to the uh, unsecured bond market. That's where they borrow from. They've all got their investment grades. Interestingly, some of the meetings we've had with REITs over the last month or so is they're actually now quite excited because they're now saying we've now got the best cost of capital in the market. Some of the levered private equity players have now gone. So really, we're the only players in town. So we're now able to pick the high quality assets that we want, the strategic assets that will help our portfolio, and we're not facing competition. So they're actually quite bullish in terms of the deals they can do Mm. over the next 12 months because they're the haves. Mm. They've got access to finance versus the others. Mm. So there are going to be have-nots, which is going to have an impact. Could what's happening in the banking sector and the real estate sector have a broader impact on the wider economy? Yeah, I mean, I think that clearly if banks are going to have less money to be lending, whether it's a real estate company or, or a another business, it's going to be it's going to lead to slower economic growth. Once the Fed moves very aggressively, it's very difficult to achieve a soft landing. We're going to be looking at potential capital raises, tighter regulations, and most importantly, the start of a consumer credit cycle, which puts us in the camp of when, not if, a recession. And so, again, there will be an overall impact. But I would, I think it's hard for us to. To, to not believe that that's been priced in, you know, that we already had, you know, negative valuation moves priced in from last year's performance in the markets. We've seen real concern because of the banking crisis, rightfully so. And we've seen another fall in prices that's implied by the listed market. Private markets will see that take place slowly over the coming months or so. Um, but yeah, it's if this banking crisis does continue to develop, then it will have ram- negative oh. ramifications. But I think at this point in time, I don't want to tempt fate. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> but it appears to be calming a bit. Yeah. So the headlines I saw probably a week ago, the, the real estate market could be in real trouble in like a couple of years' time when they have to go and refinance. That seems like at the moment it might be overblown. Well, it is and it isn't. And it's back to the haves and the have-nots. So, you know, again, in the US, which is where this started, there's $1.1 trillion that, that needs to be refinanced against real estate this calendar year. So then you're saying, okay, well, 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 where's the problem going to be? And that's when, you know, you look at that overall 1.1 trillion figure, 23% of that is against offices. So you're immediately be thinking, okay, that's going to be tougher. If they are refinancing the rates, the spreads the banks are going to charge is going to be much higher. That's going to have more of an impact on the earnings or the dividends that people can pay to their investors. So that's going to be trickier. Whereas if you're thinking about a data center refinancing or a last mile logistics, 
that's going to be easier. Banks are going to be far happier. And so I think, again, it's back to which companies have got investment grade credit ratings. They're going to be fine. Which are the smaller niche real estate players, maybe who only have access to one small bank or a regional bank? That's where the pain is going to be felt. And I think that's where you're going to see a bifurcated market where those smaller assets not in core cities will probably struggle the most. And they will have a keen eye on where interest rates might go. No one can tell, but inflation is sticky at the moment. So how many more interest rate rises can the market withstand, do you think? Yeah, it, 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 it's, a, it's a great question. Every time rates move up dramatically, like we've seen over the last 12 months, if that was to be repeated, you would again, you would expect a fall in real estate values to compensate for the fact that the overall return on equity you're going to get if you're borrowing is going to be harder to achieve. And so you've got to be compensated. And so, you know, it, it, it is a good question. Um, and we would expect to see more negative falls if rates go up at a similar speed. But again, the listed market looks to have priced in, you know, a number of rate rises. So it feels that we're getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. We, talk, we talked about some of the uh, smaller real estate portfolios struggling uh, in the US. Are there certain regions that might fare better or worse in this crisis? Not, there's, there's nowhere that because of the banking crisis that concerns us more. You know, one of the questions we've had from a client recently was you know, exactly to that point, you know, has one of the regional banks kind of lent to everyone in Los Angeles? Mm-hmm. Is that going to be a problem? And it's not really like that at all. Again, within each market, there's strong parts and then weak parts. I think, again, what we would be more concerned about are those subsectors where earnings growth is going to be much tougher. Mm. Office is number one on that list. It used to be retail. Retail has now been moved to number two. But, you know, you'd still be concerned about excess retail space as Amazon continues to, you know, kind of make headway into the retail market. Although that, that you know, is stabilising, having said that. So I think that the office market is where we would be most concerned and back to where we were talking about earlier, over on the West Coast, <laughs> because that's where the tech have been hiring and that's where the kind of redundancies are being made, you know, more dramatically than elsewhere. With interest rates going up so quickly, a different kind of environment we've been used to well, over the last 10, 15 years. Are there any metrics that you suddenly start looking at that you weren't looking at beforehand? No, I mean, in terms of the balance sheet metrics, you know, we all learned pretty quickly that in the financial crisis, that sort of loan to value metrics were, were pretty meaningless. Um, it was very hard to understand where the sort of the, the V, the value was. Um, so we, for a long period of time, have been looking more at earnings multiples, net debt to EBITDA as one of our preferred metrics. And again, just sort of as a, as a point in terms of sort of, OK, there is stress in the US, but what about in Europe? If you look at the average net debt to EBITDA in the listed sector of US companies, it's about 5.5 times. In continental Europe, it's about 13 times. So there's a lot more debt in Europe. So, you know, again, we are, you know, we've got to speak relatively here. So, yes, there is where the banking crisis starts in the US, but in our world on the listed side, Hmm. the companies are pretty well managed. They have very strong balance sheets. So we feel confident that I think there'll be more opportunities for the listed REITs. But yes, there will be pain in the broader sector. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcast at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers.
the value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy.